God, our helper, by your Holy Spirit, open our minds that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may be led into your truth and taught your will. For the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. And now a reading from the book of Jeremiah. You will be in the right, O Lord, when I lay charges against you. But let me put my case to you. Why does the way of the guilty prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? You plant them and they take root. They grow and bring forth fruit. You are near in their mouths yet far from their hearts. But you, O Lord, know me. You see me and test me. My heart is with you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter, and set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land mourn and the grass of every field wither? For the wickedness of those who live in it, the animals and the birds are swept away. And because people said, He is blind to our ways. If you have raced with foot runners and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? And if in a safe land you fall down, how will you fare in the thickets of the Jordan? For even your kinsfolk and your own family, even they have dealt treacherously with you. They are in full cry after you. Do not believe them, though they speak friendly words to you. I have forsaken my house. I have abandoned my heritage. I have given the beloved of my heart into the hands of her enemies. My heritage has become to me like a lion in the forest. She has lifted up her voice against me. Therefore, I hate her. Is the hyena greedy for my heritage at my command? Are the birds of prey all around her? Go, assemble all the wild animals, bring them to devour her. Many shepherds have destroyed my vineyard. They have trampled down my portion. They have made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. They have made it a desolation. Desolate it mourns to me. The whole land is made desolate, but no one lays it to heart. Upon all the bare heights in the desert, spoilers have come, for the sword of the Lord devours from one end of the land to the other. No one shall be safe. They have sown wheat and have reaped thorns. They have tired themselves out, but profit nothing. They shall be ashamed of their harvests because of the fierce anger of the Lord. Thus says the Lord concerning all my evil neighbors who touch the heritage that I have given my people Israel to inherit. I am about to pluck them up from their land, and I will pluck up the house of Judah from among them. And after I have plucked them up, I will again have compassion on them. And I will bring them again to their heritage and to their land, every one of them. And then, 
if they will diligently learn the ways of my people, to swear by my name as the Lord lives, as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then they shall be built up in the midst of my people. But if any nation will not listen, then I will completely uproot it and destroy it, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. mentioned last week that starting last week and, and into uh, this fall all the way up to Advent, we will be looking specifically at the book of Jeremiah, and we're going to dive into uh, a good bit of that passage that was just read by Jay, but first, our, old, our New Testament reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 18 and 19, where Jesus speaks to Peter. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. When you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last week, we looked at Jeremiah chapter 1. That was the call story for this prophet Jeremiah, this man from Anathoth. Uh, Jeremiah, if you were here last week, you know he was called to proclaim a very difficult message, uh, mostly, not entirely, but mostly to God's own people because of their unfaithfulness. And next week, we're going to get to some of Jeremiah's, the message of his, of uh, the substance of his message and the intricacies. But for today, I want to take one more week and look at Jeremiah the person and and his own personal narrative amid a very difficult call. Uh, This week, what we're seeing is is Jeremiah is partway through his call in following God on this 40-year trajectory, and, and he needs to talk again with God about all that's going on. Like last week, this is a very personal account and encounter between Jeremiah and God. And you heard, this falls in chapter 12, and some of us are thinking, well, that is a big leap to go from chapter 1 to chapter 12. You may remember, or I mentioned last week briefly, Jeremiah is not written in a linear, linear fashion. It's very circular, and so it's interspersed constantly with prophecy and narrative and biography, sometimes without obvious connection from one section to the next. So from 1 to 12 does not mean we just skipped. We're, we're going to go back to those other chapters, but it does make sense as far as following uh, the narrative of Jeremiah's very personal encounters with God. Well, at this point in the call, uh, Jeremiah's own people have been turning on him for the tough message to call uh, about judgment, to call to renewed faithfulness. They've plotted even against Jeremiah's life. And so Jeremiah begins chapter 12 with this deep lament before God. In the manner one might bring a case before a judge. Verse 1, you're always righteous, Lord, when I bring a case before you. And the case is brought by way of the framing question. Why do faithless people succeed? Why do good things happen to bad people? And actually, Jeremiah is not just talking about that annoying movie star or sports figure. They have all this money and this fame and they're a big jerk. Jeremiah is talking about his own hometown people. 
In, in verses just before this, in chapter 11, where the lament really begins, Jeremiah is specifically upset about the people of Anatoth, the place where he's raised, his own people. And of course, Jeremiah pointedly reminds God that all of these people, these kindred of the faith, kindred hometown, they're also God's own people. Verse 2, these are the people that you planted. He even goes on to say, and, 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 and you are always on their lips. They, they say the right things. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. They recite the commandments, they declare the creeds, they, they sing the hymns, they have the scriptures on the wall. You are present on their lips. That's the people I'm talking to you about, God. But, the verse continues, you, Lord, are far from their heart, their inner person. The word is not uh, just the normal one for, for heart, but, but more a word for like inner organs. And so some translations suggest a very literal kidneys. But the idea is this place of deep-seated emotions, this gut-level center. They say the right things, but when I look upon their emotional center, that, that space of anchored conviction and love and obedience, I, I do not see you, Lord. Your spirit, your settled way upon the heart. What's more, Jeremiah knows himself to be innocent. He says, and you know me, Lord. You see me, you test my thoughts about you. Jeremiah is not suggesting he's perfect, but on the whole, he's not like these people. He is speaking the word God gave him to speak. And yet it is he, Jeremiah, who's the one who is suffering, facing plots against him. They're all doing just fine. Ultimately, his anger gets so great, he just lashes out with, drive them off like sheep to the slaughter. The pain is deep. The response is raw. I think all of us would like to believe, you know, that the word of God, when it is, when it is proclaimed, when it is shared among us, when, when we share it in word and in prayer and in action with one another, that, that, that everyone will always be drawn closer. Everyone will be more encouraged, happier, knit together. But then I remember there are scriptures that say things like this about God's word. For the word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God's word absolutely heals. But God's word cuts like a surgeon in order to heal. There is often division as the way into wholeness. Or even Jesus, right, who prays earnestly in John chapter 17 for the church's unity and oneness in Jesus Christ. That same Jesus in the Matthew's gospel says, Do not think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have, come to, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. And then he goes on to explain how that, how that plays out. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. One's foes will be members of one's own household. Jesus comes to save and rescue all with his love, but he names the challenging truth that, that, that in following him, it, there is a way in which it leads to division, even among and perhaps especially family, if it's going to be unto a genuine wholeness. I mean, how many of us have stories about where our, our Christian convictions of following Jesus have led us to, to follow in certain ways and it stirred waters within our own family back home? 
our own circle, our own friends. How many of us have journeyed with God a little ways and, and we, we actually, we know what it is to sit with Jeremiah in, in, in a season of disillusionment and perhaps especially disillusionment somehow with a part of the church, with God's own people. And maybe we've not known what it's like for Jeremiah to be, have people plotting against our lives, but maybe we do. We do know what it is like to, to take following Jesus seriously and we're trying to do it the right way. We're trying to be the ones who are honest and with integrity. The ones who are fair, the ones who are loving, trying to keep step with Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit and, 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 and take the higher ground. But it's costing us. And the people who are bribing and cheating and, and, and they're really not who they say they are, they're doing fine. Well, Jeremiah is discovering that being someone who tries to share God's word, live God's word, follow what God is saying, can actually mean not less trouble, more trouble, not less pain, but more pain, at least in the short run while all these things are getting uprooted and something new is getting planted. Jeremiah laments. And so, of course, implicit in his lament is not simply why are things this way, but why, God, are you not doing something about this? This hypocrisy, this wrong, this pain. And finally, in verse 5, God speaks. The judge responds before this one who has brought the complaint of injury and woundedness amid their experience of faithfulness. And essentially, in the next few verses, God offers Jeremiah two responses, which I think we'll come to see is essentially wound up in one response. And never, by the way, does God actually answer the question, why do the wicked prosper? The first response of God's is this. If you've raced with foot runners and they've wearied you, how are you going to compete with horses? And if in a safe land you have fallen down, how are you going to fare in the thickets of Jordan? You, you think this is difficult? Wait and see what's in store. I remember a dozen years ago, I was in the military. I was at Airborne School in Fort Benning, Georgia, where for three weeks they, they train you to, to jump out of airplanes. In the first week, all you do is run. It's the leg strength week. The second week, you're doing all these different drills where you jump off these boxes above, up above the ground and learn how to fall to the ground. And as the week progresses, the boxes get a little higher. And eventually, you do this drill from the tower. You're hooked up to all these different cords, and, and you step off of a mock airplane, say 50 feet or so above the air, and you ride these zip lines down, and, and somewhere above the ground, a few feet, it just suddenly drops you, and it teaches you how to hit the ground while in motion at some speed and I just remember how dead tired I was midweek through that second week legs are shot I'm done with the small boxes and the medium-sized boxes and now they're talking about the tower and I don't know if my face said something to the sergeant maybe all of our collective faces said something to the sergeant I just remember this guy going y'all think the tower something Maybe you forgot. Next week, we're going to be 2,000 feet in the air, five times out of a plane. You're worried about that. Sergeants are not known for their compassion. Far more likely, they're going to remind the soldiers of where they're headed and how far they've got to go. 
God, of course, is known for compassion. But lest we ever box God into just how we think God should always respond to us in our time of need, Scripture keeps us on our toes in who God has revealed to us. Because sometimes we are, right? We tire on the road of faith. We are bent over, breathing, heavy, aching legs. We're tired. Can't stand the the hypocrisies, the failings we see in others or around the church or, or our society, our nation, our very own family. We should be better. We can be better. I'm sick of it. And sometimes God takes the moment not simply to hold us and embrace us in our lament, but say, you think this is unfair and this is tough. This hypocrisy is tough. This challenge you are right now navigating is tough. Those are boxes. Maybe it's the tower over there. But you were made for jumping out of a plane. You were made for something far bigger, far harder. That's what's in store. And in fact, Jesus comes along many years later. And for all the different times he shows compassion, how many times, too, did he offer this same kind of tough love? You have heard it said. The Sermon on the Mount is really an exposition of this kind of logic. You have heard it said. Do not murder. But you were not made just to run with humans and avoid murdering. You were made for the kingdom of God's plane of reality, where you're not even to let anger get a foothold, and instead you are to practice reconciliation. You're worried about your next meal, what you're going to eat, the clothes you're going to wear. You were made to seek first the kingdom of God and have God's spirit work through you in such a way that you are utterly transformed in the likeness of Jesus. And by the way, so is all of the society. Food and clothing. You disciples, you're having this petty fight over who's going to sit near the front of the table in the kingdom of God. You're being called to take up nothing less than the cross of Jesus Christ and offer your very selves. God's first response to Jeremiah is this tough love sergeant who will only settle for the very best and so speaks very directly. You're tiring running with the humans. If this stuff is hard, what about the horses? Jeremiah, it actually is going to get harder because I've made you for so much more to live and witness on a whole other plane of reality. The judge then shifts focus and responds to Jeremiah with a new angle on his lament. And it's, it's really even more jarring than the sergeant-like response that maybe we don't always expect. God declares the following about Israel, who has proven so disobedient at this point that, Jer- that God says, I have forsaken my house, my people. I have abandoned my heritage. I have given the beloved of my heart, a term of, of marriage, To the hands of the enemies. Why has God given up? Forsaken them. Let them just fall into the hands of the enemies. Verse 8. Well, because my heritage has become to me like a lion in the forest. She has lifted up her voice against me. Because Israel has become so disobedient, so rebellious, they're like a lion lion growling at God. God is giving up on the growling lion because God's, they're trying to tear God apart. 
It's an incredible passage in scripture that reverses all of our, our thoughts about who's in power and so forth. Here God is shown to be the one vulnerable before a praying lion. One cornered before this threat. And God takes it one step further. I'm giving up on them. In fact, I hate her. It's worth remembering that scripture never paints God as a distant, emotionless, unmoved mover. Quite the opposite. God is very involved among the people. So much that, so that it hurts God when God's people wound and attack. God is deeply relational. In this case, God expresses the kind of frustration and hurt that can only happen in an intimate relationship. We, we don't feel deeply about people we don't care about. In fact, the people for whom we find ourselves hurt the most by are often, right, the ones who are closest And when there's a betrayal, there rises within us a hate, an anger. And and as we all know, when when profound hate or anger arises in a person, in a people, when someone lashes out in anger before us, when we lash out that way, so often underneath that right is some kind of inconsolable grief. Some profound sadness sits under the cry of anger. And such is the hate God speaks of. Because as some of you recall, in numerous places in the Old Testament, including right here in our passage, God considers Israel God's own bride. They're married. And now the bride has not only run off in betrayal, but prowls against God as a lion. It hurts. And God gives this raw, honest, open expression of anger to share the hurt. Now that may surprise us. You know, if God has these feelings, maybe God should not share those with Jeremiah. Maybe be a little more godly. Put on a good face. And yet you recall Jeremiah is lamenting because it's his own faithful hometown. His own family who's against him. God chooses to share about the anger God has so that Jeremiah can see clearly. I get it. God knows what it's like for the whole family, even the closest, the betrothed, to turn. God makes it clear. God knows betrayal and knows the pain of that wound. Over the many years of of our lives, I imagine all of us can look back at different times of, of trouble and challenge. Maybe you're in one right now. And we wonder over and over that question, why is this happening? Why is God doing this? Why is this going wrong? Why is it going this way? Why are they taking that turn? Why am I stuck in this? Why? 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 And how often it is not the person who sits down with us and says, Oh, here's what's happening in your life. Oh, it's, it's because of your past. It's because of your failings. God's doing this to make you stronger. God has a plan. Here's the plan. How often it's not the person who attempts to dabble too deeply into the mysteries of precisely why. Indeed, God never addresses the question once in our scripture today. But instead, the person who says, me too. That is the one who ends up lifting us. I hurt like that too. I had that cancer. I know this addiction. I know this journey. I know this hurt. I'm in the same spot. 
how often it is the one who sits with empathy whose word heals. And though we may be taken aback at God's harsh word about Israel, we need to see that this is God's profound lament over a bride who's not only run away but keeps attacking. Jeremiah, I get it when people come against you and you're just trying to be faithful and good. Me too. Indeed, so thoroughly would God speak that message that eventually, right, God would become one of us. A human being wherein wherein God essentially tells all of us, I get you. I get you at the depths of my being. I have walked in your shoes. God coming in the form of Jesus and experiencing all the realities of humanity, including dire suffering and even death, is, is in a profound way the way in which God says, me too. And, perhaps most scandalous of all, Jesus does not just empathize with the likes of Jeremiah who laments the sins of the world and the brokenness of those closest to him. Jesus does not situate himself just in those, the shoes of those seeking to be faithful, right? You recall Jeremiah wanted his own people led like sheep to the slaughterhouse for their sin. They needed to be dealt with. Again, God empathized, I I get it. But then in Jesus, God so deeply empathizes with all of humanity that God sits even in the shoes of the worst sinners, too. Jesus ultimately chooses not to lead any of us to the slaughterhouse or hand us over to the enemies. Rather, Jesus chooses to go himself as the lamb to the slaughterhouse on our behalf. Jesus chooses to hand himself over to the enemies rather than let any of us be handed over unto the enemy. I will be the sacrificial lamb. I will be the one given over unto the enemies. I will so deeply identify with the sin and brokenness of the greedy people and the mean people, the callous people, the people with the shallow faith that should know better, the hypocrites, the apathetic people, the family and folks that we've got near us, they're just so wrong-headed, they don't get it. I will so deeply identify with all of the sinful people. I will wear it. I will take the pain. I will take the punishment. And all of those unfaithful people, Jeremiah, cannot stand. They will have sin no more upon their hands or their hearts. They will be called beloved, a forgiven, spotless bride. God empathizes deeply with the lament of righteous Jeremiah, but God and Jesus empathizes deeply, quite unfairly, with the sinner and takes the whole fa- their whole failing upon God's own self. See, Jeremiah begins this passage in a place of lament. It's angst and it's anger. And people in those of his own hometown, his own people group, his own circle who were against him, who, who, who were succeeding but were hypocritical. And if we're at all human, if we're all in a human in relationship, if, if, if we're a Christian and therefore in a church, we at some time or another know this lament. We know seasons of this frustration. And God's first response this morning through the book of Jeremiah, right? You think this is difficult. It's going to get much harder. You were made to run with horses. 
But of course, we saw God does not just leave us with the sergeant's tough love reminder. God then leans in and doesn't attempt to, to save face or, or look godly, but like those wonderful friends we all have who, who have healed us with their vulnerability and their empathy. God rips open God's own heart and says, I get it. I know the pain of family betrayal. Trust me. But then as we find, and we follow the full arc of Scripture, we find that God takes it even further in Jesus Christ and says, in fact, I not only empathize with your deeply righteous lament, I also choose to empathize deeply with the sins of those you cannot stand. And I choose to stand fully in their stead and so take their sin, their shame, and cover them in forgiveness. And the truth is, if we're here this morning and we situate ourselves at any measure in the shoes of Jeremiah, trying to be good and faithful, not perfect, but, but goodness me, trying. If that is us, then this grace of Jesus Christ may be the most painful word we hear. It may start to become clear why God told Jeremiah it's just going to get tougher You're going to run with the horses. Because when it comes to following Jesus, running with the horses in that kind of speed, in that kind of strength, means loving like Jesus, who forgives the sinners and the people who have betrayed and the people we cannot stand and the people we do not get. Running with the horses in God's kingdom means hearing afresh Jesus' response to our righteous lament. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But you were not made just to run with humans and loving really well the ones that you really love and pushing away the ones you really don't like. You were made to run on the plane of the kingdom of God where you love your enemies and you pray for those who persecute you. Running with horses, we now see, oh yeah, that's the plane. By the power of the Holy Spirit, may we be filled to do what is otherwise impossible and run with the horses. May God lift us to run with those horses that we might have the wherewithal to love the faraway sinners and the hometown church sinners with the same passionate depth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.